Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. 34 shots on a Thursday night and a bunch of rowdy Cypriots. Sounds like a lad's holiday I went on once. But in reality, it was Manchester United versus Ammonia in the Europa League last night. Scott McTominay isn't usually a heartbreaker, but he was yesterday with a 94th minute winner to secure a valuable three points in Europe for Manchester United. More on that shortly, as well as Jared Bowen firing West Ham to success despite some averse and elect behaviour in the stands. And it was professional from the Gunners who didn't freeze in the Arctic Circle when they beat Burda Glimpse. Temperatures will be far more sizzling in six weeks though when the World Cup kicks off in Qatar. But post the winter warmer, will Southgate still be in situ? Former Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel says he'll take on the challenge of being the Three Lions gaffer should the opportunity arise. And it's Friday, so you know what that means. It's time for the quiz to get those neurons firing as you can test your knowledge on the last seven days in the top flight and beyond with our tough questions. That will be later on on today's Football Social Daily. This is the only daily Premier League podcast. My name's Niall and on hand today we've got Ian Brannan and Marley Anderson. Morning, fellas. Good morning. Good morning. I was kind of joking about my lad's holiday. I never went to Cyprus. I actually went to Zante, which Mali is where you went on your honeymoon, isn't it? It is, yeah. I did, yeah. Not to the <laughs> but I doubt, bit, no. Yeah, I doubt we went to the same spot, to be honest. Well, Unless you ended up in barcode, which by some strange <laughs> coincidence. <laughs> well, it's right near a, it's near a port, isn't it? You know, where the ferries go and stuff um, down, that, down the party bit. So... We did go on like a midnight cruise one day and when we were getting back, it was, um, sorry, a sunset cruise, not a midnight cruise. Um, but when we were coming back, we seen the the, um, the party time just starting and a lot of scantily clad 18-year-olds drunk and falling over <laughs> everywhere. And we it was only half 11, so God knows what happened the rest of the <laughs> Yeah, night. that was me about 10 years ago. So um, yeah, <laughs> it, it, in reality, uh, we're talking about the football last night as Ammonia Nicosia turned up at Old Trafford, pro- probably one of the biggest games in their history, and they gave it a real good go. But they were beaten late on, a 94th minute winner through Scott McTominay. United, let's face it, Ian, were utterly dominant in the game. I've already mentioned the amount of shots they had, 34, and the final shot was the goal. Ammonia had two. They had 70% of the ball, Manchester United. They just took their time trying to find a way through. The goalkeeper was excellent, but eventually they got the job done. Yeah, they got the job done. Uh, and that's what the history book will say. You know, years from now, when we look back on this momentous night in football of Manchester United versus Ammonia Nicosia, um, we'll we'll see the score. It was 1-0 and, and we won't notice the fact that it was scored in the 94th minute and Manchester United once again got themselves out of jail in Europe. And... It just seems to be keep, keeps happening, though, for Manchester United, doesn't it? And we see other teams. We see Liverpool blowing sides away in the Champions League, Manchester City blowing sides away in the Champions League, and yet in the Europa League, Manchester United seem to be struggling against teams that until this week we'd never really heard of. And it, it should be a concern for Manchester United fans. I mean, yes, they've won, but you know these results, this scraping by, is not what a Manchester United team with the quality the experience um, and frankly the money that's been invested in that squad you know they, they should be doing better in these games and yes these other sides are going to see it like a cup final but you know they they, they had a made a meal of it last week on the away leg and yeah you can say you're visiting their place but at, at Old Trafford you know under the lights on a on a Thursday night they should be blowing side, sides like this away surely 
because they don't have the quality. They don't have the quality against Manchester United. Manchester United's bench has got more quality and value in it when you look at it on paper. And why, Why? I don't know, there's, there's something about the Man United team inherently wrong at the moment where they're making everything hard um, and they, they shouldn't be doing it. And, and as I say, they got out of jail because they didn't score in 90 minutes. It was the injury time that saved them. And um, yeah, frustrate. I think it would be frustrating. I've seen some Man United fans on on social media, one of which he took his kid for the first time, saying, uh, "Yeah, yeah, you'll remember this day, son," or something like that. But it, you know, it, it's it's underwhelming as well for the fans to sit through that kind of. And it's exciting. Yeah, there's 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 shots flying in, but yeah, they had enough you know. chances to win four matches. To well, be indeed. Fair. Um, they hit the crossbar. The goalkeeper was brilliant. We'll come on to him in a second. But do you know what it reminds me of, Ian? It reminds me of a couple of seasons ago. And we've seen a highlight of that this season under Eric Ten Hag, where against Arsenal and against Liverpool, those two sides turned up at Old Trafford and they dominated possession. They had majority of the ball and United used the likes of Sancho and Rashford and the pace of those players on the counter-attack to punish both Liverpool and Arsenal and they got the wins at Old Trafford. Two huge wins for them. But this is one of the few games in the season where United are given the respect and the will to dominate possession. And it's a case of, right, we're giving you the ball. We're going to put 11 players behind the ball. We're going to camp in our own half and it's up to you to break us down. And they had enough chances to do that. But the finishing has to be a concern, don't you think? Because to have 34 shots and only score one is um, is, is a pretty poor conversion rate. You don't need to do the maths to figure that out. Well, it is. It's, 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 it's a shocking conversion rate, really. And as I, as I say, these are not just, it's not just the finishing. You know that you've got the quality in that side. You know, you've got internationals. You've got people who have already won multiple Champions Leagues. It's not for the lack of experience or or anything else within Manchester United. That's a frustrating thing. You know that it's in there. You know they've got the quality. They've got, you know, European Cup winners, I think maybe World Cup winners involved in their side. You know, they should be able to break sides like these down, especially with that amount of chances. It wasn't like, as you say, it wasn't like that a, a, a money... A, parked the bus and really suffocated the game and, and it was impossible to get a shot in. Shots were flying in, but they just they weren't flying in the right direction. And it's not a hard game, football. It's a very easy game. It's a simple premise. You've got this rectangle at the end of the pitch and you've got to put the ball through it. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Could have done with Cardiff City with a goal being three inches taller. <laughs> that would have been helpful because Casemiro rattled the crossbar. But we should give credit to Ammonia's goalkeeper, Francis Uzo, the Nigerian keeper who wasn't even supposed to be playing last night, Marley. He was the reserve keeper. And then there was an injury to their first choice stopper. And in steps Uzoho, who was absolutely brilliant, made a number of saves, particularly in the first half against Marcus Rashford. There was a double save seconds into the start of the second half where you know he, he really pulled it out of the bag and actually in a strange way I felt pretty sorry for him at the end so what do you make of his performance particularly being a Manchester United fan as well a bit of a dream come true for him yeah it was uh he was quality wasn't he I think he just one of them where the occasion could have uh could have made him freeze and he could have had a shocker but instead he, he embraced it and he made some right saves some fantastic stops he even got a hand on the Casemiro thunderbolt that hit the crossbar um, yeah, which I'm did, not sure yeah. he massively affected the the uh, the trajectory of the shot, but it was still goes down as a hell of a save. So yeah, he's um, he's flying. I, I was I was pretty gutted for him, but I think you know it'll take some topping um, to have anything else as the best day of that, of that guy's life. You know, um, second choice goalkeeper. 
you know, probably grew up in Nigeria watching Manchester United games on on TV from when they were dominant, um, that dominant era, um, and maybe a bit later of the sort of Angali era and stuff like that as well. But it's um, it was huge for for him. You know, I'm, I'm pleased for him because it's it's what this like competition's about as well. Like you. People take the mick out of it for Nicosia being in it and things like that. And uh, sorry, Ammonia. I think they changed the name, didn't they? But I always forget because I always uh, rattle Nicosia on the back of it. But Ammonia were. It gives them the, the the platform, and you get stories like this. You get little little um, things like that. And you know, without this competition, you know, um, these these stories wouldn't these little headlines and narratives wouldn't come out. So I, I'm really pleased for him. He, he played really well. Um, he'll probably rank this as the best day of his life, and it'll it'll take some beating. Yeah, and after the game, he was asked whether he was gutted about the result, and he said, "You know what? No." And he had a massive beaming smile on his face, and was just like, "I'm really proud. We came so close to taking a point away from Old Trafford, and even to share the pitch with some of the best players around." He was really proud of that, and he should be. So big up to Francis Azoho. Great performance last night. United squeezing past Ammonia Nicosia at Old Trafford thanks to Scott McTominay's late winner. I think it shows that there's still plenty of work to be done. Moving on now to the Europa Conference League before we switch back to the Europa with Arsenal because West Ham were playing against Anderlecht in the third tier of European competition last night at London Stadium. It was 2-1 to the Hammers. Jared Bowen on the score sheet and in scoring he broke the Hammers European goal scoring record which a bit like Patson Dacker for Leicester last year I don't think was standing at a very high total but congratulations to him anyway how important is Jared Bowen in general to West Ham United Ian because Skamaka was benched last night and Bowen played almost through the middle as like a not a false nine but genuinely a a, a target player at times so so how important do you think Bowen is to to the West Ham cause I think it's really important and do you know what there was a time um when was it but 20 2020 uh, where he was playing for Hull City and, and he, he'd, he'd been a, a real good player for Hull City for years and there was a rumour that he was he was going to go to Leeds at one point and, and this was like a really exciting thing and, and anybody who'd seen him playing for Hull knew that he was he was going to turn out well. So obviously a bit of a disappointment when he went to West Ham but he's he's really lived up to it and I think they can, there's always that question mark sometimes of a player who's dominating in the championship and a league like that and you know, scoring lots of goals. You know, scored 52 goals in 124 appearances for for Hull City. Which, considering some of those are his very very early years of of his career, a lot of those goals came later on. Um, to see that he's performing well with West Ham United is, is great you know in making that step up and now onto the European stage it's pleasing to see and I think we've seen that with West Ham when when he's not been involved that perhaps they have struggled a little bit um, from time to time they certainly miss out on the the creation of chances and um, and and goals sometimes as well so yeah he's he's very important to them and great to see his development and great to see how he's stepping up you know, onto these different stages of, of, of football. And, um, you know, I've got no doubt that with, I mean, how old is he now? He's what, 25. Early 20s. Yeah, yeah. 25. Do you think he's going to the World Cup, Ian? Do you think well, he'll be there? I think, I th- I think there's, um, if he doesn't go this time, I think he'll be, he'll be there or thereabouts to the next tournament. Uh, and that's what I was just going to say. I think, you know, he's, he's got to be in the reckoning. Surely, you know, he's got to be on the, on the backs. He might, he might not make it this time and might run out of places. But I think certainly going forward in the next couple of years, he's going to be at his peak then. And, um, you know, an exciting couple of years ahead, I think, for, for Jared Bowen, certainly. 
Well, West Ham 2 and Delect 1 last night, but the game was kind of soured at the end, Marley, with uh, some unsavoury scenes, let's just say. Some of the Anderlecht fans that have come over from Belgium decided they were going to start ripping chairs out of, this, out of the ground at London Stadium, throwing them at opposition fans and stewards and smoke bombs were being launched as well. Anderlecht, in all fairness to them, came out and apologised immediately with a statement. It wasn't short, it wasn't long, sorry, after the full-time whistle that we saw communication from the football club apologising for the behaviour of the fans. But it's never nice to see that, is it? And I know you get that sometimes in football. It seems like once or twice a season you get idiot fans doing this, but it still would be disappointing because... As Ian said about the Manchester United game a second ago, these European matches are often opportunities against the lesser clubs, with no disrespect to Anderlecht, for dads and mums to bring their children to matches for the first time. So I feel like that is something that needs to be taken into consideration. You know, it's not like your general Saturday afternoon Premier League game where it's hard to get a ticket. These games are slightly easier in terms of access. So to see nasty scenes like that is never nice, is it? Uh, no, it's not. There's there's a very clear line between uh, creating a good atmosphere and then, you know, uh, vandalism and hooliganism. It's um, it's not nice. It's it's in the past. Um, I don't. I've never understood the the theory of ripping uh, ripping out seats and chucking them at, at innocent people. You know, it's uh, it's strange, but it sometimes happens. I think sometimes. Um, Clubs want to uh, sort of remind people that, like you know, they're they're still they're still hard, they're still tough, and it's like, like why? Like, I you don't really prove anything. Like this isn't Green Street or Football Factory. It's not 1983 is, anymore, is it? Come on. Yeah, it's the times have gone. It's 2022. Everyone's there, obviously, to watch the match, to cheer the team on, but not to not to get caught in the head by a, a flying a uh, you know seat base. It's ridiculous, but. Yeah, it's, it happens every now and again, and uh, probably needs to needs to stamp out. And there'll probably be some sort of fine or possible uh, stadium ban if it got worse for for some of the fans. But it's um, unfortunately it does happen from time to time. I love that uh, statement from from Marley there that there's a very thin line between creating an atmosphere and vandalism. Uh, I, it's, I think that's one. It's only a thin one, Ian. You've I'm going to have to write that down. Struggle. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to admit here, lads, I have broken a chair at the football before, celebrating a have goal. You? Stood on the chair in front of me, my foot went straight through it. You know what? I should have sued the opposition club for cutting my leg. Well, indeed. So, you know. <laughs> anyway, West Ham 2, Anderlecht 1 yesterday in the Europa Conference. Back to the Europa League now, where Arsenal were away in Norway against Burda Glimp, the team from the Arctic Circle, and they got the job done. professional performance and we said on yesterday's podcast that it probably won't be a hammering like we saw Liverpool give Rangers in the Champions League the the previous night but you know it was on a plastic pitch Arteta might have been slightly wary with the team he selected Birdo aren't easy to beat on their own turf but as I said a professional performance a 1-0 win away from home get the three points back to London yeah well they got the job done um, with the only shot on target of the match um, mm. from Arsenal. Um, as I say, it was it was low on shots throughout, really. Quite the contrast to the Manchester United game, but ultimately just one shot on target each. Um, but as you say, job done. Um, not the greatest place to, to have to visit. Um, well, what is it? Like Northern Norway or somewhere like that. And as you say, plastic pitch. Yep. Um, tricky place to go. They got the job done and, uh, yeah, they can get on with their lives now, as you say. Um, not not one for the... Uh, not one for the archives, but um, yeah, I think they uh, they did the job and Saka 
obviously um, getting the goal and um, another good performance for him. Yeah, Arsenal doing what they needed to do against Werder Glimt from Norway last night. And that rounds up yesterday's European fixtures involving Premier League clubs. Of course, we're back to the league this weekend. And you can listen to the dugout with myself, Matt Jarvis, a former West Ham and Wolves player. And we'll be talking about Wolves on that show, as well as Trevor Stephen, who also joins us on that podcast. So you can hit subscribe here on Football Social Daily and you won't miss that episode of the dugout. That'll be out later this evening. And you can listen to it on Saturday morning as well via the dugout's own podcast feed. Just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll find it there. No doubt the World Cup will be on our agenda on Football Social Daily in the next few weeks. We are only a few weeks out from the tournament beginning. But after the World Cup finishes, could we see a new man at the helm of England? And could that man be Thomas Tuchel? Well, the German boss says he fancies a go at the England job. And we'll discuss that next after this here on FSD. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. I've got Ian and Marley alongside me. And Thomas Tuchel has allegedly said that he fancies a go at the England job. Should Gareth Southgate leave the Three Lions post after the World Cup in Qatar this winter? Thomas Tuchel, Marley, is a big name manager. He's had success in the Champions League with Chelsea, he's got plenty of Premier League experience having been the manager of the Blues for the last 18 months before his recent sacking. What are your thoughts on the possibility that he could become a New England manager? Or at least he's interested in taking the job. Should Gareth Southgate move on at any point? Um, I'm, I'm a bit surprised, to be honest. I think I'm not, not entirely sure where this question come from or or whether it was the, the one on everyone's lips that needs to, needs to be asked of uh, Thomas Tuchel. But it's nice to see that he'd be... Uh, He'd be in, interested if if it came round. I, I do have the feeling that this would be Southgate's last um, last tournament. I think his race is run. Um, to be honest, I think the unless unless England win it, of course. But I think with um, the sort of um, feeling around Southgate, the you know, there's a lot of questions about his team selections and his tactics, and it doesn't really lend for. A tournament where you're kind of expecting to go really, really deep into it. A lot of people are saying you can you can easily see England going out um, earlier than expected in the, especially when you take into account the heat and all the the conditions that they're not used to and all that kind of stuff. But um, for for me, like Tuchel's Tuchel's a club manager for me. I don't really understand why. Um, I think it's it's more that he's just keeping his his options open. I think this uh, this thing rather than saying. I'm specifically wanting the England job. Um, I think it's more of a, yeah, I'd take it if it was offered because I want a job, I want to work. Um, I mean, Antonio Conte, on the contrary, Marley, he's been a club manager and an international manager. So too Roberto Mancini. So I guess it can be done. Um, but, you know, some people, as you say, do miss the, the day-to-day, the cut and thrust of being a, a club manager because you're in it every single day of the week. Whereas with... Uh, international management you get a short window of time with the players and then the rest of the time you're off scouting or watching matches or whatever so yeah. there is a big difference between the two roles there is but I, it's just for that reason I, I feel like Tuchel's got a little bit too much like energy and, and zest for, for the normal week in week out games I think I think he's got a lot to offer I, th- I still think he's one of the there's probably the top 10 coaches in the world so if he sits tight and something something big becomes available 
I think it'd be it'd be in the running for it, whether it's back in Germany with you know, maybe back to Dortmund or if the buy in job came available, he's still so highly thought of that you know, he'd he'd be involved with them and the same in, in Italy and Spain if jobs came available. Um I think, you know, there was people linking in with the Man United job when uh, when he got sacked and, and Ten Hag wasn't confirmed as yet as well. So that's the type of um job you can get if he hangs on, but I, th- I don't think it, it quite suits him, to be honest. But if he's prepared to travel around and watch watch games every weekend for the um, for the benefit of the, the England job, then then fair play. But I don't really think he's, he's at the right stage to, uh, to take over, to be honest. Well, he has allegedly rejected offers from two Premier League sides since he was sacked by Chelsea. I don't want to speculate, but when you think about the clubs that have not got managers, it seems pretty obvious who those clubs could be. And I guess you can understand why he's rejected them. But in terms of what Marley says about having too much energy to be an international manager, Ian, I guess you could make an argument for the way that Chelsea won the Champions League and the way that they've reached a couple of cup finals under Thomas Tuchel. They know how to work their way through a competition, which when you boil it down to the bare bones, as an international manager, that is what you need to do. You need to work your way through a tournament, find a way to win these games and get yourself to a final and try and win silverware. I guess that's all international management is. Yeah, it is obviously much different, isn't it? And I think, think as Marley mentioned there, really, that... It'd be interesting to see how he would cope with the lack of, of football for, for for long periods through the course of the season. And other managers have said this that, you know, they, they miss the the day to day kind of coaching. And he's he's a he's a tracksuit manager, isn't he? I think you'd say, um, Tuchel. You know, he's out there, he's he's involved, he's not sort of a um a Fergie kind of character who would sort of stand more on the sidelines and, and let his coaching staff sort of run things a little bit more. Um so th- there is that. Um would he be alright, you know, in the periods in between tournaments where you've got that couple of years where you're building up to stuff and you have three or four months perhaps at a time where you you you're not involved, you know, you're 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 just keeping an eye on players and sitting in the stands and plotting what you're gonna do when you do have the next competitive um, matches which are going to be crammed into a week or 10 days and then you lose those players again so it is a completely different um, set of skills I think to get used to but as you say ultimately when it does come to the tournaments when the tournaments do begin the European Championships or the World Cups and so on you know it is about that mentality which you know his his uh, experience in those kind of tournaments in the Champions League and so on would be advantageous of of how you get through these tournaments and you know it's not necessarily blowing sides away all the time we've seen this and I think England fans get restless when England sometimes look like they're struggling to to get through a a match in the early stages of a tournament and they might nick through 1-0 or it it might be a draw in the group stages in in the league bit and people are panicking and it's that that steady hand of look you know it's it's about getting through it's not about you know, you're not getting points for style here. You're getting points for winning, and um, you know that kind of knowledge surely would be of help. But yeah, I, I agree with the old action-packed kind of nature of Thomas Tuchel of whether he'd be happy sitting on his hands in uh, cold stadiums up and down the country through the month of November not doing much, um, and whether he would rather be the manager of, I don't know, Juventus or somewhere like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that there's a chance that that Juventus job could become available pretty soon, so I think that's a good shout, Ian. (laughs) But just finally on this one, and we'll keep these answers quick if possible, Marley, you say Southgate's race is probably run after the World Cup, so... 
Quick question: Should he move on after the World Cup anyway? Uh, not if if we don't win it, yeah. But if we do win it, you know, why why would you ever leave that job? If if you win the World Cup, why would you ever leave it? You'd just carry on, wouldn't you? So, um, yeah. yeah, only if we win it. Ian, um, I mean, he has been there a while. Uh, consistency though is a good thing. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it depends how well we do. You know what this country can be like. If he doesn't do well, people are going to be in his back anyway. Um, I think, I think he might move on. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. I do as well. World Cup in Qatar six weeks away. We'll find out pretty soon how England will do, and we'll keep you up to date here on Football Social Daily. We'll have new episodes right throughout the tournament, so hit subscribe and you won't miss a single one. End of the week, so it's time for the quiz, and we'll do it next. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Final part of today's Football Social Daily. And as it's the final part of Friday's show, it means only one thing. It's time for the quiz. Get in there. Ian, you ready for another week of quizzing action? I am, yes. Uh, Three weeks unbeaten. Um, yeah, sensational scenes last yeah. week. Well, two two wins against Joel, so they, they barely count. Um, <laughs> and a win over Marley in last gasp fashion a couple of weeks ago. So yes, uh, yeah. we are back to oh, quizzing. Are you, are you are you casually leaving out the fact that uh, that I was robbed? Are you? Oh yeah, sorry about that. Oh, you see, yeah, last you know, we, <laughs> referees aren't allowed to come out and speak about their performances. So I'm going to follow the same uh, the same style here. Yeah, now <laughs> I hope there's a question about about Arsenal because me just randomly shouting Arsenal has won me tw- for, for the last two weeks on the trot so it's my default answer (laughs) okay well we're going to do what we always do and start with the youngest first so Marley you get the opportunity to go first with this question Manchester United played Ammonia Nicosia in the Europa League last night they won 1-0 thanks to Scott McTominay's last gasp goal but what does Ammonia translate to in English god um orange no it's harmony Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> it's harmony. So uh, unlucky, Marley. So that's a miss there. Uh, moving on to Ian. This is your first question and a chance to take the lead here. Ashley Young scored for Aston Villa against Nottingham Forest in the Premier League on Monday night in a 1-1 draw. It was a great finish. But when was his last Villa goal before that one on Monday night? Uh, oh, I'll accept it. I'll accept a year. I'll accept a year oh, right, for this. Okay. Uh, well, uh, what are we on now? Twenty twenty twenty, May two thousand and eleven against Wigan. What? Eleven years and one hundred and fifty six <laughs> days ago. Of course, he's been uh, at Manchester United in the meantime, and then did he play some football at oh, Inter Milan? Yeah. So you know that's been it's been a oh. long time since he last scored a goal for Aston Villa. So totally I totally forgot about the Manchester United yeah I mean he was there for a long time as well played a lot (laughs) of games okay moving on next question still goalless between these two which former Liverpool player Marley said some things that caused Jurgen Klopp to snap at a journalist when quizzed about it in a press conference earlier this week that was uh, Dietmar Hamann 
It was Dietmar Haman. Well done, Diddy Haman. I can't quite remember what he said now. We spoke about it on yesterday's podcast he, uh, or a couple of days ago, but he was pretty annoyed about it, Jurgen Klopp, wasn't he? Yeah, he said there was something, uh, a spark missing from Liverpool, which That's not I the thought was thing a, that anyone's an, an ever entirely said, entirely fair comment. But yeah. typical Klopp in it, you know, when he when he doesn't like something, he, he decides to try and make a make a fool out of the, <clears> the poor journalist that simply did his job by saying it. But yeah, Klopp things. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp loves a little complaint, doesn't he? Well done, Marley. You're on the board. It's 1-0. Moving on to Ian's second question now. Drake, the Canadian recording artist, will be featured on the front of Barcelona's shirts for the upcoming El Clasico with Real Madrid this weekend. But which Premier League club does Drake allegedly support? Mm. Um, what Premier League would he support? Let's... Uh... Um, Chelsea? It is Chelsea. Well done. Correct. He's been pictured in (laughs) Manchester United, Manchester City and Arsenal kits. I thought you were going to whip out your your Arsenal wildcard there. I thought you were just going to say Arsenal. No, (laughs) because I saw saw the, uh, the Barcelona shirt and it's got like this owl on it, hasn't it? Is that yeah, his... it looks like a Sheffield Wednesday logo, that, that was the it? thing. I think, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday is sponsoring Barcelona. Yeah. They're that desperate for cash, Barcelona, that they're accepting bungs <laughs> from other clubs. Um, what I thought was quite funny as well, I don't know if you saw, guys, Blink-182, the sort of pop-punk American band, decided that they were going to go back on tour again for the first time in 10 years. <clears throat> and I was going to mm. think of a question around them. And in, quite funnily enough, Mark Hoppus, who's one of the band members, is also a Chelsea fan. So uh, the answer could have been to the Drake or Blink-182 question. The answer was still going to be Chelsea no matter what. So well done, Ian. You've leveled things up. It's 1-1. Good answer with Chelsea there. Marley, the two Brunos, Fernandes and Guimaraes, will meet when Manchester United play Newcastle United on Sunday at Old Trafford. But what is their combined transfer fee in pounds? Fernandes and Guimaraes, what is their combined transfer fee in pounds? Uh, 94? It's 80. 80 million. 47 for Bruno Fernandes. A 33 for Bruno Gimresh from this, the uh, reports that I read in, in pounds. Yeah. I think it's hard because you've got to do the conversion from euros and stuff like that. But yeah, um, 33 million quid. So unlucky, no right answer there, but... The more that you see Bruno Gimaraes play, mate, the more that 33 million quid is looking like a pretty good buy. Yeah, <laughs> he's ridiculous. He's probably the best centre midfielder we've had in God knows how many years, certainly since Kabai, but maybe even better than Kabai, if I'm honest. Yeah, Johan Kabai was a good player. I enjoyed watching him. Unlucky Marley, so it's still 1-1 at the moment. Chance for Ian to uh, sneak himself into the lead here. Diego Maradona is one of the greatest players of all time. But in England, he's also well known for the Hand of God incident in the 1986 World Cup. The ball that he did that Hand of God moment with is going up for auction soon. But how much is the guide price? Oh, God. Uh... What do you think the estimates are, basically? That's that's what I'm looking for. Um, two million quid? Oh, not quite. You're only 500k off of it. Two and a half to three million quid. People will recoup for that hand of 
God ball. I wonder if uh, Peter Shilton will bid for it, Marley. (laughs) 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 Can you imagine if he just turned up and bought it? Um, Obviously, the great man Maradona passed away, but he'll be pleased to know that Napoli, um, his former club in Serie A, are doing really well in both the domestic league and the Champions League at the moment. Okay, Marley, chance to clinch it if you can get this one right here. Which Premier League player was forced to retire due to a heart problem earlier this week? Uh, Enoch and Wepu. Well, hey, well done. Nice job, Marley. Straight in there. A second point for you, so it means it's 2-1. Ian, you do have a chance to equalise. Um, and then we go into... <laughs> then we go into... <laughs> then we go into a, a tiebreaker. So if you, if you can manage to equalise here, you know, then uh, a tiebreaker could be on the nice. cards and we could have similar scenes to last week. So are you feeling, are you feeling confident? <laughs> Oh, well, I'll, I'll I'll make a call on that when I've heard the question. <laughs> Earlier this week, Liverpool forward Mo Salah scored the fastest hat-trick in Champions League history by bagging three goals in six minutes. Which former Liverpool player holds the record of the fastest Premier League hat-trick in history? Um... Oh, it's a thingy, isn't it? It left the other the, the year. Um... Uh, was it last year? Um, Mane. Yes, Sadio Mane. Good one. So we're all square again going into the final. (laughs) We're all square again. Yeah, Sadio Mane uh, scored a hat-trick in about three minutes, was it? for Was it for Southampton? I think it was actually. For Southampton. Yeah, I think it was just under. I think it was was two minutes 50. Was it? I've got it in my head. Because before that, I know it was Robbie Fowler, who I think is an underrated player, by the way. (laughs) Robbie Fowler. They love they love hat tricks, don't they, at Liverpool? Yeah, yeah I mean, I thought specialising it. <laughs> I mean, we, we spoke about Diddy Hammond's um, comments earlier on. Um, I mean, when you score seven goals, I suppose that kind of answers the critics. But we'll talk about it on the dugout a little bit later on tonight. If you subscribe to the show, you'll be able to hear that podcast. Liverpool versus Man City this weekend. Um, is the game still Marley as as exciting as it? used to be I guess in the last few seasons because Liverpool are not on it and Manchester City are on it and normally that game defines a season but it feels like that might not be the case this time. Uh, there's, there's certainly a clearer favourite um, this time round than, than there has been in recent years. I think I think recently it's kind of been like oh you know um, the two best teams in the league are going at it but I think that, that game this year is so far anyway it's City against Arsenal which obviously we've got to wait a little bit longer for but I think with the uh, with the the way Liverpool are defending in the form of Erling Haaland, it's it's um, only expected to go one way if we're if we're being honest. So it's um, mm. it's also it's I mean, it's a perfect time for Liverpool to get the, the season back on track. But you know, going into it, the tenth in the league, they don't look uh, particularly brilliant anymore and the fear factor's kind of gone mm. from them so yeah I mean it's going to be exciting I think still to watch anyway despite the fact that Manchester City are probably the favourites going into this one right it's time for the tiebreaker question and this is going to be fastest finger first as it often is in the tiebreaker rounds I can't believe we're 2-2 again between you two honestly um, so the tiebreaker question I'm going to need you to buzz in or shout in or just shout the answer out whatever it is I'm looking for one of two names, any one of these two names will win you the point and win you the match. And here comes the question. So are you both ready? Yes. Yeah. 
Nottingham Forest spent £145 million in the summer and signed 22 new players. However, it's not really worked out for them as the club remains in the relegation zone and the powers that be at the city ground have moved to sack the head of recruitment and the head scout this week. Can you name either of the two people that were sacked? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, nope. Uh, <laughs> we could be I mean, all day. It's How a good chance got? to see who can Google the fastest. Uh, God. <laughs> uh, Go on. Oh, I'm allowing God. you to Google here because otherwise we're gonna we're gonna be stuck. Oh, <laughs> Andy God. Scott. Well done. Even <laughs> <laughs> wins by virtue of being a faster Googler than Marley. Oh, Marley's got we, a new. We could have been so here all. We could have been here all Filippo, day with that. I mean, God. I was about to say Filippo Giraldi, but you know. Oh, not bad. He's the new sporting director that's come in. I thought I'd make it difficult, to be honest. Um, there's no oh, chance. Oh, George Sirianos. That's yeah. who I was looking for. There's no doubt that if you had shouted out Arsenal on that occasion, Ian, you wouldn't have won anything. So. <laughs> yeah, disappointing lack of Arsenal. It was Chelsea at, uh, that saved me this week. <laughs> Well done. Another win, though, for Ian. Another W for him. We need someone to take Ian on on a Friday and try and knock him off his perch. So, yeah. Well done, Ian. Congratulations. Marley's um, fallen down by virtue of the fact he's got a new computer and probably couldn't get to Google quick enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Another good episode of Football Social Daily on a Friday. And we'll be back again later on and indeed tomorrow with Shots, our short-form roundup of all the news you might have missed from the day's Premier League action. And, of course... The Dugout, which is our podcast featuring former top flight professionals, Matt Jarvis, once of Wolves, West Ham and Norwich is with me, as is ex-England, Marseille, Rangers and Everton wide man Trevor Stevens. So join us for that one tomorrow. Virgil Brennan will be back on Sunday looking back across the weekend's Premier League action, including that huge match at Anfield between Liverpool and Manchester City. But whatever you're up to this weekend, enjoy it and we'll catch you next time here on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.